welcome to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast with co-founders and hosts, Tracy Callahan and Deborah Doak. Each week, we tackle another tough topic to help professional divorce coaches maximize client impact and cultivate thriving practices. We also want to spread the word about the expertise and value that certified divorce coaches bring to the table. At DCA, we are committed to ongoing learning and we value generosity among divorce coaching professionals. We believe that when one succeeds, we all succeed. Welcome back to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. I'm Deborah. I'm here with Tracy. We're your co-hosts today. Hi, hi, hi. Hi. Today, our topic is clients who say, I can't possibly mediate. My spouse is a narcissist, a meanie, or a bully. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear that a lot. Um <laughs> You know, and and for many clients, the idea of facing mediation with a difficult spouse or co-parent is really, it's terrifying. It is. It's scary. It's scary. It feels much more comfortable to them to think about hiding behind an attorney and just kind of letting the justice system do its thing. Mm. But what we know is this, it's not only possible, but actually preferable to try to resolve things out of court with one of these difficult characters. Yes. So today, what we want to talk about is helping clients feel confident that they can mediate with a narcissist, a meanie, or a bully. Yeah, and we're we're doing air quotes around the word narcissist. We are, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that a little bit, right? It's uh, it's clickbait, and we're we're not opposed to using it so that people will listen to the podcast. Right? <laughs> so, um, I don't know about you, but I work with a awful lot of clients that have felt really underpowered in their relationships. And they assume that same power dynamic is going to carry over into the divorce process. So whether they've lacked assertiveness and boundaries, or they've been victims of emotional or financial abuse, they feel like they're in kind of this one down position when it comes to negotiating their divorce settlement. You know, sometimes I hear them say things like, you know, I'd rather eat a bowl of spiders than even try to work out a deal with my partner. Yeah. And that's, that's gracious because I've heard. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, if you're on social media, you can spend a whole bunch of time reading these stories about the worst of the worst and getting advice from people about going no contact and hiring high-powered attorneys. And yes, while there are some folks out there who behave pretty darn badly when it comes to divorce, what all the experts on conflict tell us, they tell us staying out of court is still the best option whenever possible. So we want to talk about why that's true and what we as divorce coaches can do to give our clients the information tools, skills, and confidence to step into the mediation process, even with a bully. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into the benefits of avoiding court, and we know there's so many, let's talk briefly about labels and their impact on our client's mindset. The term narcissist, okay, and I'm air quoting again, is literally everywhere right now. Everywhere. You just need to open any social media platform to see thousands of posts about divorcing a narcissist. 
find support groups for narcissistic abuse, and read about these long, drawn-out battles that leave families bankrupt financially and emotionally. It's 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 really it's hard for me to even see it happen. Mm-hmm. So if our clients already have lots of fears thinking about divorce, it makes sense that these social media horror stories would be compelling. Why? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, part of it is a psychological concept called confirmation bias. Right, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? We did. And when we were talking about decision-making and value-based decision-making, according to an article on simplepsychology.org, confirmation bias is the tendency of people to favor information that confirms their existing beliefs or hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And the article goes on to say that the effect is stronger for emotionally charged issues and for deeply entrenched beliefs. Mm. Ah, so, I don't know. <laughs> right. That's screaming divorce, right? Confirmation right. bias and divorce. Ah, they kind of go hand in hand. So if we believe that divorce is scary, we seek out and are more likely to favor information that supports our beliefs. If our client's greatest fear is losing time with their children, then they might be drawn to those stories about horrible custody battles. The more they read, the more it feeds their fear and the more it confirms their hypothesis. They can become even more entrenched, dug in into positional thinking such that they won't agree to any sort of shared parenting and set themselves up for a higher level of conflict. Yes. Now, the other part of that confirmation bias is that it causes us to undervalue evidence that could disprove our hypothesis. This means that they might scroll on past posts about cooperative co-parenting, cooperative co-parenting or mediation, because it doesn't support their idea that parenting issues have to be a huge legal fight. Right, right. So what does this mean? It means if they're only reading, following, and listening to these voices that talk about high-conflict divorce, narcissism, big custody fights, the unfairness of the legal system, shady lawyers, and so on, what they're doing is they are assessing threats and kind of calibrating their state of readiness based on that information Only. 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 And there is a huge difference between being informed and prepared and starting the process off at kind of DEFCON 1 or nuclear war alert level, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of space there. A lot of space, right? So this is one of the reasons why we are really cautious, and we've talked about air quotes, We really try to avoid use of labels like narcissist, psychopath, borderline, addict. Our goal really is to help our clients recognize patterns of behavior, patterns of behavior. Behavior. Right. (laughs) I can't say enough. (laughs) Right. Not labels, patterns of behavior. Help them identify what is within their control. What is 
Someone else's behavior is not, but there are things that are within their control. And we want to empower them to take charge of their own decision-making. Why? We're going to work with them to dispel this perception that all of this stuff is happening to them. And instead, support them in taking strategic actions, behavior, strategic actions, and aligning their choices with their goals and values. Yes. Right? Intentional informed decision-making rather than confirmation bias fears that keep people out of that process. Right. We always have choices. It might be a Bobo situation, best of bad options. It's not happening the way they want it to. They don't like anything on the buffet, Mm -hmm. but they still have choices, right? Choice, right? Choice. So let's get back to talking about some of the reasons it can be advantageous to try to avoid litigation with these difficult personalities or what we refer to, Bill Eddy refers to as high conflict personalities. So in his book, Splitting, Protecting Yourself While Divorcing Someone with Borderline or Narcissistic Personality Disorder, Bill Eddy of the High Conflict Institute refers to these types of characters as blamers because of the behaviors or thinking patterns that can make these folks so hard to resolve disputes within divorce and co-parenting, right? Yeah. Blamers. Blamers. It's somebody else's fault. Right. And, and if you remember in your training, or if you've done any training with us, we talk about this as the problem cycle, right? Defining, redefining that problem, and then placing blame on somebody for that problem. So those blamers are often very typical within these high conflict personalities, right? So experts in the field of conflict resolution are beginning to say that methods of alternative dispute resolution may work in your client's favor in terms of outcome, cost, and compliance, right? So this is that ADR focus, Right. Right. Moving away from that concept of protection and litigation and let the courts decide to an ADR process where the clients have some ability to have a voice, a choice to negotiate. And it actually might turn out in their favor. Yeah. It might be better in terms of outcome, cost, and compliance. So let's talk through a few of the reasons why. First of all, court is the blamer's playground. Love it. Right? Love it. We've all seen this. We don't need to go into this too deeply, right? Often, these characters are charming and charismatic. They either are able to show up completely unemotional or they're very emotionally persuasive. They're actually the victim, and they're very persuasive about that. Mm-hmm. They come in with a must win mentality. They are not above false allegations, lies, anything to win. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is their stage. They love it. Yeah. And if our client is on the other side of having received this treatment, they often are emotionally dysregulated. They're not as charming. They're not as charismatic. They're not showing up as credible as 
the blamer is. Yeah. And they actually don't show as well in court. No. Often they look like one who's emotionally unregulated and unstable and reactive. And reactive. Because they're sitting there going, what the heck is going on here? Right. (laughs) They're completely taken aback by they're there supporting their case or trying to prove their case. And in fact, it comes back on them where then they have to engage in a defensive position. Right. right? And they look wild and out of control and crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the other, the next one is costs can escalate quickly. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Right. This is something that is very rarely taken into consideration when individuals are deciding to level up, to litigate, to go, go to war. Right. So this concept of continually filing motions, getting guardian ad litems in place and parenting coordinators and custody evaluators. Right. Then there's this whole other thing about litigation abuse, and we know noncompliance, right? Mm -hmm. So as those matters are out of their control and being ruled upon, we we see noncompliance all the time. So one thing we always ask clients to consider is their divorce budget. It's a place, Deborah, you and I love to talk about this. You're a CDFA. Even me, outside of that CDFA, it's one of the things that we explore, right? Yeah. How much money do they have access to? What resources do they have access to? And what do they want to spend in this process? What can they spend in this process? If they think they've spent a lot of mediation or legal fees so far, try going to trial. It is expensive. They will end their attorney for hours of their time to get ready for trial, creating trial notebooks with exhibits, confer with opposing counsel. That's every little email, every phone call to opposing and meet to strategize and prepare for being on the witness stand. Then they'll pay their time and cost to travel to divorce court, wait around to be called in, participate in the actual proceedings, where we're talking $10,000, $50,000, $50, depending on the complexity of this case, of their case. Yeah, right? exactly. So this is really the time for the, your clients to ask themselves if they are stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. Will they have to hire a forensic accountant for a cu- or a custody evaluator to support their argument? How much will those experts cost? Mm-mm. Hint, mm. it's in the tens of thousands. Yeah. What are the chances that spending this money will improve their chances of getting the outcome they're hoping for? What else could that money be used for that they are giving up to go to trial? Maybe a down payment on a house, a couple of years of college for a child, or desperately need a new car. Consider the opportunity cost of those dollars in the financial position they might find themselves in if they rack up $50,000 or $100,000 in legal bills. It's something that our clients need to take into consideration. Absolutely. The costs can escalate astronomically in a heartbeat. Yeah. The other thing is what happens in the interim, okay? When we choose not to go into mediation or try an alternative dispute resolution process and we're waiting for the court to do its work, 
this, you know, the court processes don't happen on an expedited time frame. So mm-hmm. as our clients are working with their attorneys to put together the trial notebook and do depositions and do all the things, there is a whole big bunch of time between all these events. And yeah. what happens then? What if they need emergency spousal support, some temporary parenting or custody arrangements? Yeah. Right. Without any kind of interim agreement, you know, again, the court moves like a tortoise. Yeah. Right. And so what is happening during this time? Probably things that are escalating conflict. Absolutely. Absolutely. So those two big components, right, that often aren't taken into consideration, the amount of money it's going to cost to go to litigation Mm -hmm. And then the amount of time it's going to take to go, exactly right, to get any, to even get an emergency temp support hearing is basically 90 days out now. Yeah, right? it's 90 days out, right? And, yeah. and even so, even if you make the decision that you want a trial date, you want your day in court, most states still require mediation or a series of hearings and settlement conferences before they will allow a case to go to trial. Why is that? Because they understand. They understand the court system is set up to have a winner and a loser. And of course, blamers love that because they want to win, right? We already talked about that. But what happens is the harder each side fights to win, the more adversarial the relationship becomes and the more conflict escalates. And what conflict experts tell us is that Escalation is the most destructive force on the planet, mm-hmm. and it causes people to do all sorts of terrible, hateful things they would ordinarily never consider doing, right? Yeah. So that's my saying, divorce makes smart people do stupid things and makes stupid people go to jail, Yeah, right? Yeah. When we get into that escalation spiral, it makes people crazy. Yep. They just can't see beyond it, right? They can't. Okay. Impact on children. This is something we've talked a lot about and should be, well, uh, a common thought process for you as a practicing divorce coach, right? Impact on children. Increased exposure to conflict hurts children. Divorce does not. Conflict does. Mm-hmm. As we further see this, right, as parties are lined up to prove who is right or wrong, attempts to alienate or, you know, a target align each parent is a concern. Children are experiencing loyalty conflicts and behaviors on their own parts are becoming dysregulated, right? Children are experiencing their parents' conflict and the outcome of that, right? right. Yeah. And- and the other thing we talked about of is that loss of control of outcomes. Yes. Right? In our experience, it is not uncommon for those who decide to litigate their cases to get an outcome that is very similar to or worse than an offer that was on the table previously. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Right. At a high level, it typically involves getting attached to a result that is not based on the legal statutes, but rooted, rooted in some sort of emotional justice or this sense of fairness. For example, if the court tends toward a relatively equal parenting time schedule, but the stay at home parent refuses to accept that. Or if one spouse cheated and the other believes that they should be 
compensated for that, despite it being a no fault divorce state. Right. And those who work in the divorce space, you know, this whole concept affair, you've heard it from us. We call it the other four letter F word. Yeah. Some of the realities of divorce just don't feel fair to one party or the other and going to divorce court will not change that. It won't change it. No, no. So your client can check with their attorney, ask plenty of questions about potential outcomes and thoroughly examine their BATNA, their best alternative to a negotiated agreement before making any decisions about litigating. And this is where we play such an important role in helping our clients align their values and desired outcome with those choices because they do have choices. They do have choices, right? So let's run through the last couple real quickly here. The other thing is when we skip the ADR process and go straight to court, we lose the opportunity to use these de-escalation strategies, right? And we have so many of them available to us. Strategy. (laughs) Strategy, right? There is strategy and we talk about ear statements, right? Tracy and I are famous for saying like, I'm going to, we're going to work on some things that might make you feel like you want to throw up in your mouth when you say them, but it's strategic, especially with these blamers, right? Mm -hmm. They want to win. So let's say things that make them feel like they're winning, stroke their ego a little bit, make them feel good, make them want to give you what you need. Okay. And then getting into interest-based negotiation, right? Once you litigate, it's based on the law and nothing more. So again, you might get an outcome that is doesn't meet your needs. It's only going to be based on the law. In an ADR environment, you have the ability to use these de-escalation strategies and do interest-based negotiation. So it still might not be everything you want but it's prioritizing what you do want. So I liken it to you go to a restaurant with a limited menu, okay? Nothing on the menu is your favorite, but at least you get to choose in an ADR process. When you go to court, someone else is gonna order your dinner off that limited menu and they may choose the absolute one thing you hate. (laughs) They're gonna order me mushrooms with yellow mustard. Whereas at least if I chose my own entree, I could have picked something else. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Really, really important. And an interest-based negotiation process, we're supporting our clients moving past the person and looking at the issue, the problem, right? And, And again, this supports that concept of moving past the labels and looking at behaviors and then creating opportunities to address those behaviors in a negotiated settlement. Okay. And, and, and lastly, compliance, right? We mentioned it briefly, but study after study has shown increased rates of compliance with mediated agreements versus those that have been ordered by the court are higher, right? They're, they're, they're greater. This can be especially true for individuals who have a strong need to maintain power and control. They don't like to be told what to do. So in a court ordered Right. The court yeah. is now you have to do said mm, compliance. Mm. May be pretty Don't icky. tell me what to do. Don't tell me. Right. So they're much more likely to follow through on agreements that they themselves had some participation in making. Yeah. Right. So 
While our clients may feel that litigation is a safer alternative for dealing with their difficult spouse by working with you, they can gain the skills and confidence they need to try mediation. And by doing so, they are potentially avoiding the expense, stress, and damage of a court battle, both to themselves, to their children, and to their families as a whole. So if this has inspired you, please, please reach out to us, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you out there practicing in your work and supporting clients in these situations. Because as we said earlier, there is so much stuff in social media that keeps people trapped in these confirmation biases and we can support them, support their outcomes. All right. So thanks so much for listening. We look forward to you joining us again for another really interesting topic that supports your work that you do as a professional practicing divorce coach. Thanks for joining us for the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. It helps other divorce professionals find us and add to the conversation. And don't forget to follow us on social media to be the first to know when we add new classes and events. We'll be back next week with another topic to help you maximize client impact, create a thriving business, and promote the value of professional divorce coaching.